This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. Right, this is the PWI podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle. Uh, joined this week, as always, by my co-host Brian Solomon. How are you? I'm doing all right, Al. Happy to be back with you again. Yes, and it is a a special time for PWI PWI 500 uh, season that we're here to talk all about that. And so we've got on our boss, PWI uh, editor in chief Kevin McElvain. How are you? Doing pretty well. I uh, am going back on my uh, half joking, but not really joking at all. Not wanting to do any media around the list this year. Um, yeah, but but there's just too much we have to cover and things we have to address. So I'm happy, of course, to join the two of you. Is We've that why like you a... sent you sent Al to the firing line on Busted Open? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I did. I mean, we'll get into it, but I I didn't expect anywhere near the 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 visceral and uh, i mean hateful in some cases reactions that we got mean very mm. mean um but i guess it does happen every year but sometimes i see it way after the fact and it doesn't yeah you know gnaw at me you know what much, i you but... know what i think is the is the most insane part of it is actually two things that that i just find crazy is that poor bill after still has to i know he probably gets more crap than any of us <laughs> he does he does he's inundated i i feel so bad and the other thing are the people that somehow seem to think that dave Meltzer is involved right <laughs> do you see that too where they're like you know yeah. i think they're like confusing pwi with the wrestling observer i mean but it happens a lot and, and yeah. Mike Johnson as well. But I mean, at least then that's PW Insider <laughs> sure. and you can sort right. of see. But right. we did have to clarify. And and I think Mike Johnson even tweeted something to the effect of just so you know, this is at official PWI if you're concerned about this, but also maybe go easy on them because this is not <laughs> easy. Mike you know, is a very and, nice guy. Yeah. I, I got to say, you know, that part of it, I, I always expect the criticism, um, the nastiness. Yeah. Uh, but I think you touch on something that, that, um, it's a little more unexpected and has been nice. There have been a lot of people out there defending us, defending the list. You know, there there's always this kind of dismissiveness among some of like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I was just listening to Busted Open this morning and, and Mark Henry was talking about the list and he had his own criticisms of it, which are fine. And I think, you know, he, he brought up some important points, but he also... Uh, addressed, you know, how some folks are very kind of cavalier about the list and oh, who cares about it. And and he said, no, this is important. Um, so that part of it is is nice uh, to see the other stuff. <laughs> not so much. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into all of it. Uh, you know, as long as there's been a podcast, we've kind of gone over the top 10. I think we'll do a little bit differently this year because it, it is out there. We will discuss the top 10. We'll go over it. But rather than really um, point by point, go over each one. Uh, I think we would be providing more of a service by doing just this, addressing some of the questions, some of the criticism, some of the confusion uh, that's out there um, about the list. And, and that's why it's especially important uh, to have Kevin on. Um, I'll, I'll keep the plug short because, uh, you know, in, in some ways, this whole episode is going to kind of be a plug, at least for the PWI 500. Uh, head on over to pwi-online.com to pick it up. The 32nd annual right edition of the PWI uh, 500. I think it's fair to say it's about the biggest thing we do all year. It's sort of our signature. Um, and we put a ton of work into it. Certainly we take it very seriously. 
And uh, it's a great looking magazine. I love the cover, uh, Kevin. I like that that uh, we went back, at, you know, another little bit of a throwback with the uh, the collage. Uh, so that was a, a lot of fun. Can you talk about the decision to do that versus just having a big picture of Roman Reigns? Yeah, I mean, I think realistically, like we have to look at like, okay, who's going to um, be into this cover if it's if it's just Roman Reigns? And certainly Roman Reigns has a ton of fans and certainly he'll move copies on the newsstand. But we can share the love a little bit and put some of these other people on the cover who might not otherwise get a chance for most of the year. Uh, and then the other side of it is, honestly, I just kept looking at that old 1999 cover and I loved the concept of it. And um, there's actually even a little Easter egg with it because the one person in the top 17 who is not on the cover is MJF. Um, <laughs> and, and, and MJF was just happened to be number 16 on the 1999 cover. The only one not on the cover is Dr. Wagner Jr. And I believe it was a logistics thing, like just not having a photo of him to put on the cover, but he wasn't on there. And again, MJF happened to be in the same spot when we're compiling this, when we're putting the issue together, he's off a of TV, his future is very uncertain. So just a fun little Easter egg for people who've been reading the magazine that long. And of course, I have to give some credit to, uh, a ton of credit to our art director, Laura Brubaker, for once again, hitting it out of the park, taking an old concept and, and updating it and you know, making it look fresh at the same time. Yeah. I, I always like the collage covers because it gives you uh, some sense of uh, the quantity, right, of, of what we're doing inside, even if it's just yeah. whatever, 16, 17 uh, of photos. Uh, it, it drives home that, like, you're going to read about a lot of wrestlers in here and here are just a few of them. So, totally. um, so uh, let's uh, jump into it. Uh, uh, Brian, uh, let's talk a little bit about number one. Uh, Roman Reigns, I think it's a slam dunk. You know, it, I was on Busted Open uh, last week and also on uh, Sunday night's main event um, in, in Canada um, just yesterday talking about this. In my mind, it's as much a slam dunk as there's ever been uh, as clear number one. That said, there was some uh, discussion, debate. You know, we did consider other options. In, in your mind, was he as clear a number one as, as there could be? To me, it's an absolute no-brainer. I feel like it's been two years of that. Although, I mean, I know last this year even more so. Like last year was a no-brainer for me that it was Kenny Omega, but I could really see okay, Roman Reigns has a really good case, last year. Yeah. Right. Whereas this year, I really truly felt like there is no other choice that makes sense. And it, you know, it's an interesting thing because the only criticism that I can I can understand is that he doesn't wrestle a lot. I get that, you know, that that he's not. But, you know, from a kayfabe perspective, especially just like last year, when we said, how could you not rank number one? The guy who's unified, what, like three different major world titles. If we're ranking this like a sport, same thing. We're looking at a guy who's, you know, the longest reigning WWE world champion since Hulk Hogan. Um, how, how could you not make that person number one, especially this year isn't even like the first year that he's been the champ. How could you not? But again, like the only criticism I could see is, okay, he doesn't defend it as often as we'd like, but then who in the world do you put in his place? That's the thing. Do you go back to, I bring it up every time, the Dean Malenko approach where you take, you know, the best technical wrestler in the business. I don't think that would be the way to go. You, you want somebody who's very prominent, who's a top guy in the business, who's a main eventer, who's a world champion. I just don't see where else you could possibly go with it. With it. Yeah. And when you talk about the comparison to, to Hulk Hogan, it's interesting because um, this idea that your champion has to be 
on TV every week, you know, defending the title every pay-per-view. That is something of a newer phenomenon over the last, yes. whatever it is, 10, 20 years. That was not the Hulk Hogan model. Granted, he was working but, house shows right. uh, fairly regularly. Yes. Uh, but 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 for the Saturday Night's main event and the two or three pay-per-views he got a year, it was a, a special occasion. It was a treat to see Hulk Hogan. And that's part of why he was Hulk Hogan, right? And, and I think, uh, you know, it's sort of counterintuitive, but that's one of the things that's really clicking with Roman Reigns this year is that we see him so infrequently. He really has become kind of the special attraction. And I think if I could just kind of break away from the kayfabe approach too, for people that do that and look at him and and say, you know, here's the thing. Uh, Yes. Okay. The nature of professional wrestling, I'm going to blow the rip the lid off here that these aren't competitive matches. We understand (sighs) that, right? We, we know, they know who's winning and losing. (laughs) We get it. So, but, but, but that is very freeing in a way, because if you look at like, cause people will say, well, you know, Hulk Hogan or Bruno San Martino, they were defending the title four or five times a week. Roman does it, you know, once every couple of months, here's the thing. It's not like those guys were actually winning those matches. The more important thing is that the company is considering you worthy of being that champion week after week. They could take it off Roman Reigns any time they want. They could have taken it off Hulk Hogan, Bruno Sammartino, and anyone else any day of the week, any week of the month, any time they want. They make a conscious decision week after week that this person continues to be the man. That's the most important thing to me personally, rather than the amount of title defenses. It's the length of time that the company considers you worthy to be their standard bearer. And I think that says a lot about Roman Reigns' position in the industry. I I do think that when you mentioned that, sometimes these arguments do seem to conflict with other arguments, right? So on... Yes. I I talked about Mark Henry uh, uh, this morning. I was listening to Busted Open and... He said, uh, and it's an interesting take, that if if he was putting together the 500, he'd have Chris Jericho in the top five for some of the reasons you're saying in that he is the draw of AEW. He is uh, their go-to guy for big matches. He's the biggest star. Um, And yet we've got, I forget where he is. He's he's somewhere in the 20s, respectable, but but certainly I don't know that we we ever seriously considered him uh, in, in the top 10. Um, this year. And then I also think about, well, is just pushing a guy enough f- for for him to warrant high ranking? Because I was thinking, yes, Roman Reigns is champion for two years because the decision makers in WWE have deemed it so. Right. Uh, what if it was Omas? What if they said Omas is going uh, we're putting the world title on Omas and he's going on a two year undefeated streak we'd have to rank him pretty high but i think it'd be somewhat reluctantly and and i even if he did that well i'm not sure that we'd put him number one so uh kevin i'll throw to you on that i mean how much uh is the the draw factor uh, important when put together this list especially at, at the very top well i think that's an important point to bring up and it does you know certainly if omas was uh, champion and was drawing during that time and was perceived as this huge star, whether or not we love the guy's work in the ring. And I mean, we've had, we've looked at things like this in the past with say like a Braun Strowman and a couple other Ali, people. Uh, you know, someone I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, it's happened, but um, that's, that's one ingredient, you know, technical ability can, can figure into it. It doesn't mean you have to be the, the world's, you don't have to be the Dean Malenko to be number one, to go back to what Brian was saying. 
But it's worth noting that Roman did more than just exist as champion. And I think the whole idea that he doesn't wrestle or he hardly wrestles. Okay. You can look at, he only has so many title defenses or he was absent from TV for however long. The fact remains that during the evaluation period, he missed about three weeks and like consecutively, I'm not saying he wasn't out here or there for a week, but he rolled back into that part-time schedule toward the very end of the evaluation period. And then he defended the title against, I think, Riddle on SmackDown. And then the evaluation period was over. And then, then he was part-time. During the evaluation period, he had almost 100 matches. Now, a lot of them are at house shows. A lot of them are six-man tags. But to say he wasn't active, like that, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, he was, you know, more the, most of the people in the top 10 weren't, weren't half that active, you know? So um, you have that. You have this reign that just... Uh, kept going and going. And at the same time, I mean, I would argue this was a better, you know, those initial defenses against Jey Uso were fantastic in their own way. And they were really like remarkable pieces of work, but on paper as a champion, he really established himself this year because even though he held the, the, the universal title, that whole previous or most of the previous evaluation period, this is when he really stepped out and face the highest level of competition across the board, unified the belts and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and, and that was one of my points in, in bringing up uh, Omas is that it's not just that Roman was booked to do well. It's that Roman was great in everything he did. Right. You know, when, when you look at, at that criteria, um, you know, just check off the boxes. Oh, he was fantastic at this fantastic, you know, influence yeah, and, uh, yeah. work in the ring. He uh, he's such a a polished performer right now um, that e- even if he had some losses in there and maybe dropped the title uh, within that evaluation period, I, t- I still think he'd be a strong number one just for how great he was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's where opinion comes into it. But I feel like it's an opinion that's by far the majority opinion, which is the fact that he was worthy of being in that role, because it's one thing to say, okay, we're ranking him this way because of the role he was in. It's a fact. We can't deny it. He was in this top spot. He, He, you know, he's held the title all this time. But then you have that more subjective factor, which I think I don't like I said, most people would share is that he's not an Omas. You know, he's somebody that should be in that spot. I mean, you can't name a bigger star in WWE right now. I mean, possibly Brock Lesnar, but again, he's like, he's in and out. He's not currently on TV. And for most of the, for the evaluation period, he was in and out. So, I mean, the most consistent top name he is at this point the successor to john cena in most yeah. people's eyes yeah i i think you mentioned brock lesnar i think this might be the year that he surpassed brock lesnar in in terms of star power i mean i think now yeah. you, you do that match again and he's uh the a side you know the, you hear that term a lot in, in boxing and, and mma I think he's the A side of, of of any big match. Um, that kind of takes us to uh, another topic. I wanted to hit on some current events here while we're talking about some of these guys because we haven't uh, uh, talked in a while. We had Clash at the Castle after the evaluation period. Another great performance by Roman. I, I loved uh, him and Drew McIntyre. Glad to see they put the they kept the belt on him. Some people would would disagree. I I liked Solo Sokoa uh, joining. Um, the bloodline. And then there's a question about, all right, where do you go from here? And, and we just find out over the weekend, Logan Paul, I don't know that a lot of people, um, you know, had that on their radar and because, you know, it's the whole celebrity crossover thing. I think there's some mixed feelings about it. 
I think it's great. I think it's going to be a fantastic match. I mean, I, I, I've been nothing but impressed by Logan Paul, and I think it's really uh, intriguing size-wise, star power-wise. This feels like a really big match. Yeah, I think if you're going to do this, too, you kind of got to do it while the iron's hot. I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, there, there's an argument to be made for, okay, in storyline, he's got to pick up some wins and establish himself in kayfabe, but the reality is a lot of people, when they come in, they're really, really good at first because they have this, this rehearsal uh, the, and all this time to be very good at these matches. And certainly he's a, a fantastic athlete and he's proven himself outside of wrestling. But I think right now he's kind of, I, I it's funny to say untainted because a lot of people don't like Logan Paul for different yeah. reasons outside of wrestling. But in the WWE universe, he is, uh, you know, he's still this hot new attraction. And I think, I don't expect him to win the belt, but um, I think if he goes to challenge for it in six months, it's going to seem more far-fetched in some ways. I don't yeah, think... I, oh, go on, Al. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll set you up real quick. I I, I, um, I, I, I disagree with anybody who would say he hasn't earned it. I mean, look, you're, you're only going to get so many matches out of Logan Paul. I know he's got a WWE contract, but this is not a guy who's going to be working mid-card feuds or anything like that. If you've got whatever... Let's say it's a half a dozen matches... You got to get to Roman soon, right? I mean, that that's the reason that you have him. And in some ways, I think more concerning than what it does uh, potentially to Roman is what you might do to Logan, uh, assuming he loses this match. And and does that does he lose some of his momentum? I, I think the guy's an absolute star. Yeah, I think I also think, you know, it's like we've talked about. It's important to keep Roman Reigns busy, right? He mm-hmm. needs he needs viable opponents. He can't keep facing the same people and, you know, they have to get him to wherever the point is where he's going to eventually drop it. I still don't think that they have a definite plan on that. I think they're still riding the wave of this. I think probably for a lot of people, for me, I know the Logan Paul thing kind of did seem to come out of nowhere. I'm not saying that it's not a good match because I do think it is only if only for the fact that, you know, this is a guy who has such a huge following I will admit I had no idea who he was until he got involved in wrestling, but he has such a huge following that they're hoping he can bring that following. I mean, that's legitimate. He is more famous and over in the world than any professional wrestler right now, currently working in any company. So, I mean, that's the people you want to go, go after, you know, I mean, what else are they going to do? It's just one thing that I thought was odd was the choice of the location because I mean, I don't know what the culture's like in Saudi Arabia. It just seems like most of the matches they've wanted over there have been very retro. It's like they have this long-term memory of, oh, wow, WWE. Yeah, could we have Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair? Like, that's <laughs> been a lot. Like, Can we have Goldberg 17 times? Can we have The Undertaker come out of retirement? So uh, that surprised me that they would choose a very kind of like forward-looking match like that for an event like this, too. Yeah, I think what they're interested in more than anything is is marquee value, right? They want the biggest uh, mm. match, and this feels like that. I mean, when you've got a a legit celebrity in Logan Paul with with uh, millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of followers, whatever it is, uh, that's that's marquee as, as it gets. And uh, again, not not to to gush, but you know, when you talk about celebrities who have wrestled. Uh, I'd put him at the the absolute highest tier um, uh, of what he's delivered. Uh, I, I thought that at WrestleMania in in the tag match and then SummerSlam, 
uh, his match with the Miz. I was just blown away. I mean, it was it was one of Miz's best matches, and it was uh, in large part. Uh, and and it's not to take anything away from the Miz, who's an absolute pro, but. Uh, you you know, Triple H talked about in the press conference, Logan is clearly putting in the work and, and taking this seriously. Yeah, it's the, it's that new generation now of entertainers who get involved and do take it seriously. You know, I mean, generation ago, we didn't really see that. You could just tell they were kind of slumming and they were sort of like wink, winking. Yeah. They didn't want to get too pulled into the circus of it. They were a little hesitant. But now, I mean, yeah, I mean, people are all about it. They really do. Bad Bunny's another great one. I mean, even Ronda Rousey right out of the gate, taking mm-hmm. it very seriously, you know, and and that that's a new thing. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah. So let's get uh, through the list. Um, uh, just quickly, uh, number two is Okada. I haven't heard you know, much, if any complaints about them uh, back to being on top in, in New Japan and and certainly one of the best wrestlers in the world. Let's talk about number three and number four. They probably deserve uh, uh, to be talked about uh, together. That's the other big headline since we've uh, last got together. CM Punk is number three. Adam Page uh, is uh, number four. Both of them off of the strength of their uh, performances in AEW, both of them being world champion uh, in AEW, Punk beating uh, Page. Um you know, Kevin is Punk hasn't been on this list in nine years, uh, and I'm wondering if he's gone for another nine years, or or if this is the last time we ever see CM Punk on this list. Obviously, after he got the title back at at All Out, and then um, the whole wrestling world uh, exploded uh, when he got on the mic backstage uh, after the show. He is now uh, suspended, and besides that, he's injured again. So even if he wasn't suspended. We wouldn't be seeing him anytime soon. They're crowning a new uh, world champion this Wednesday. Just a a disaster um, uh, for AEW over the uh, last couple of days. Uh, well, yeah. Talk about, you know, Punk being this high. Some people maybe with some hard feelings towards Punk um, over uh, this follow-up the last few weeks may not be so happy because he, he doesn't come out terribly sympathetic in, in um, what's been happening as of late. Um, and again, is, is this the last we see him on this list? I don't know. Um, I thought maybe he was gone from wrestling for good, especially when he didn't join AEW from the get-go, you know? So, I mean, I thought for sure he'd never do anything adjacent to WWE again, but then he did, you know, the, uh, the Fox sports stuff that was where he was at least, you know, being critical of the product, but he was, he was associated with them again, even if technically his paycheck has come from somewhere else. And I mean, I think something we're going to talk about here and that it came up before we started, it'll come up again, but the idea of recency bias. Yeah. CM Punk is really not a very liked guy in pro wrestling right now for a lot of probably very legitimate reasons. Um, but during the evaluation period, you know, the, possibly, probably the single biggest news story of the year outside of Vince McMahon stepping down was CM Punk coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the evaluation period, I should say, um, filled up an arena just based on the rumor that he might appear. It would have been a disaster if he hadn't. And then he comes back. Um, he lost, I think, one match prior to you know the, everything that's gone on recently with with him and Moxley. And you know we'll get into all that, but that's not during the evaluation period. Um, you know, and I mean, he was he was their draw. He was the one who 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 made uh rampage uh ratings hit out of the gate he's the one who kept dynamite ratings strong and he was their champion and even when he wasn't their champion he was usually the main event of the show he was you know page was champ um and found himself in that 
um, unenviable position of like playing second fiddle to the punks and Danielsons of the world. Um, but you know, even if this is one of those situations like a Miz in 2012 or 2013, whichever year it was, um, where it doesn't look good by the time it gets published, the reality is during the evaluation period, he was, he was, I think you could debate whether it's him or Paige in that spot, but you know, certainly, uh, to say punk doesn't belong in that, like that's ludicrous. Like by any objective metric, he does. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is incredible the 180. I mean, when you talk about just a few months ago, how this guy was the savior of wrestling in AEW, and um, not necessarily uh, before he came back. I mean, when the rumors were that he was coming back, I think there was a lot of skepticism, including for me, about you know how committed is this guy going to be? And then he hits it out of the park in his first promo and is on TV almost every week, wrestling, keeping active. He he earned um, the fans respect and he earned uh, this ranking. And then you contrast that with just the last few weeks. And he really is like this pariah that um, uh, I think a lot of fans and, and certainly uh, wrestlers in AEW, um, they want him out. He's, he's sort of become this kind of toxic figure in in um, in wrestling and, and in AEW. Uh, uh, Brian, can you talk about that? You know, everything we've seen over the last few weeks and um, what, what does it do to CM Punk's legacy? Because I'll, I'll mention this real quick. When the, uh, the, the, the Observer Hall of Fame ballot uh, came up last time, um, I voted for Punk off of the strength of, of what he did in his in his comeback in the first few months of his comeback. And um, so in some ways, I thought that sort of cemented his legacy in wrestling. But maybe this trumps all of that. You know, I think it's a big, giant mess. But I also think it's it's complex and layered. And so I I, I have a, an opinion on this that I'm going to try to explain. First of all, I want to say right at the top of it that. Punk never should have done what he did at that press conference. That was unprecedented. I, I It even makes me question Tony Khan even allowing these press conferences to happen anymore, because then you look at the WWE ones and you can say what you want about them. Yes, it's totally canned and scripted and could be hokey sometimes, but it just comes off as a much more tightly run ship and a professional outfit. And they understand what they're doing as entertainment rather than trying to do like a real life press conference. Cause sometimes this happens now he should have never aired his grievances that way. It was extremely unprofessional and toxic to do that. However, I think some of what he's saying may be coming from a genuine place of grievance. For example, I, I would love when all this comes out in the open one day when they do documentaries about it, because I have a feeling that whatever's going on over there that is making him nuts is very similar to what made Cody leave. I, I really do think there's stuff going on beneath the surface. Punk has not handled it well. I don't think he has a track record of being a man of tact and tolerance in, in a locker room. But he may have legitimate gripes of, of seeing things that he doesn't like, seeing things that rub him the wrong way. He comes from the very highest level of the industry. He's used to the way things are run there. And I think, yes, it makes him a bit of a prima donna. But I think like some of the things he, he would be complaining about with Omega, the Bucks, who are EVPs. And, and Adam Page and everything, you know, yeah, it should have stayed behind closed doors. But I don't know if he's 100% wrong in the kernel of what upset him or what's been bothering him, if that makes sense at all. He just handled it wrong, and it makes the whole operation look like a complete circus. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a really good point that you bring up, because if you do look at punk over history, um, there had been so many t- times where he has been. Um, and I guess this is a question for everybody to decide. But in these different situations, he has been in the right. Uh, but the way he has handled it has been. Yes. Uh, so I don't know what the word is. I mean, unprofessional is one thing, but but I guess he would argue the hell with professionalism. I'm right. You know, like, uh, and, and right is right. Uh, but yes, it, he has developed this, this reputation for kind of being a malcontent. Um, and I don't know if it, it, I think it was here. I'm not sure if it was here that I mentioned covering him at the WrestleMania press conference where he was upset about not being in the main event of WrestleMania when it was John Cena and the rock. And he was working with the undertaker. And if, if you saw him, he was like the biggest sad sack in, in the world. You'd, you'd think he was like jerking the curtain or something. And it's like, dude, you're working with the undertaker at WrestleMania. Um, right. But, but that's just kind of the guy he is. And the other part is it, it's not just um, griping. It's that when he gets in this mode, this combative mode, uh, he's not above taking some real cheap shots and and um, some stuff that's really ugly. Talking about Colt Cabana sharing a bank account with his mother. I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. And why are you bringing this up? And not to uh, mention that he didn't, he didn't even he seemed to be going in there with the intention of doing that. I initially yeah. thought because if you remember when the way that the, the thing started, it sort of cut in like in the middle of him talking like they didn't really start it where it should have started or maybe they weren't ready. I at first thought he got set off by a question somebody asked, but that's really not what happened. It just seemed like he had a a bug, you know, he just yes. he, he just he went in there going, I'm going to blow this thing up. I am sick of having to deal with the cabana stuff. Uh, I can't stand, you know, the these EVPs. Uh, I, I can't stand Adam Page and I'm just going to air my dirty laundry right here and now. And they're not going to do anything about it because I'm the whole show. Like, I really think that was the attitude that he brought in there. And like you said, even if there may be legitimate gripes that he has, which I do think there are, it makes you not sympathetic to him. And yeah. It makes you not because there are people in his situation where if they handled it the right way behind closed doors and, you know, all this kind of thing and, and and dealing with things, you could say, okay, yes, I get it. This guy is the WWE veteran. He He's a polished professional. He's a little annoyed by some sloppy things he's seeing and some unprofessional behavior in his eyes. I get it. He wants to sort of like guide this company and help, but punk is a very hard person to sympathize with just because of his personality and the way he goes about it. Yeah, he sort of makes himself the bad guy, even when he's yes. in the right with with uh, how he deals with it. So l- let me ask you, uh, you, you this. Um, and it it is so complicated, right? Because on one hand, um, he makes some points, some important points, uh, and and he's right on, and and yet he's uh, very unprofessional and clearly disliked by a lot of people in, in the locker room. This isn't even the first time this thing, this stuff has come up. I mean, he's got this reputation for um, maybe it, 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 it's too much to say that he's a cancer in the locker room, but, but he's certainly not the most popular guy in the locker room yet. As you touched on, he's your biggest star. He is a draw, um, you know, for eight years, every wrestling promoter was, was clamoring to, to get back CM Punk. So, what do you do? I mean, do, do you keep him around? And if it and and we haven't heard this yet, but but if it became a situation, the, the the ultimatum, you know, it's him or it's us and us being 
the Bucks and and Kenny Omega, founders of the company. Uh, if you're Tony Khan, what do you do? I don't even think that's a choice. I think you have to stick with the people who brought you to the dance in the first place. Mm. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, punk is arguably a much bigger draw in terms of the, you know, bringing in ag- average wrestling fans and all that. But um, if it becomes an ultimatum, yeah, I mean, you have, I think if you lose Kenny and you lose the bucks, even if they don't have quite the power that they used to, if some of that's a lot of that's been seated to Tony, um, I think you lose a lot of what makes the promotion what it was. And I think you would see other people who would probably follow and once their contracts are up, they're gone too. Because, hey, if you can do this to the people who helped you get this off the ground, then you can do this to me. Um, And a lot of people have loyalty to them. And that's not so much the case with Punk because he's made a lot of enemies. Um, Which is not to say, you know, as Brian made clear here, I mean, they're are probably some legitimate things that he has legitimate gripes about. And certainly there seems to be a lot of chaos and unprofessionalism in parts of the uh, backstage aspects of AEW. I mean, I think just look at some of the moves they've made on the the corporate side and promoting people into new positions with talent relations and things like that. They're trying to tighten the ship over there. And I do think um, to their credit, the way they handled the fallout of this has been really good. I think, you know, they made it clear like, Hey, this is not going to be tolerated. There's no, forget about interim championships. Like these uh, championships are just vacant. We're going to crown new champs. Um, And everything around that. I mean, you don't have, I don't know. I think six months ago, a year ago, you would have had maybe Tony Khan on Twitter like ranting about this and that's not happening now. And I think that's crucial because that's, that's something that, you know, transparency is one thing, but you got to like, you don't want to give the appearance that it's chaos. Um, yeah. Even if it is, you know, I, and I think they're dealing with an, a really unenviable situation there right now. And to their credit, they're doing pretty well, at least in because the fall. He, he was put in a very bad spot, Tony Khan. Yes, I mean, 100%. I mean, to have to sit there. And that's another reason why it's hard to sympathize with punk to have to sit there with your champion and probably your biggest mainstream star sitting yes. next to you and just acting like he has no fear of you at all. I mean, yeah. this guy sat there and said, I could say whatever I want and nothing's going to happen. Nobody would have done that. Not only if it was Vince McMahon, because everybody's saying, oh, if this was Vince, he would have done that. And they're right. That would have never happened. But I also don't think that would have happened with Triple H either, because there's a level of respect there that that and and even, you know, you're looking at a locker room these days in 2022, where most people are significantly younger even than Triple H. So he's almost like a father figure. I, I think like the tone. His credibility, Tony Khan's, it was really hurt by that moment. And so he he needed to act. He needed to do something to be put in a position like that where you really come off as powerless and also at the mercy of your talent. Um, something's got to be done to repair even just the optics of that. Yes. Yeah. And 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 the other kind of complicating wrinkle of this is this injury that CM Punk sustained. On, on one hand, he almost does you a favor, right? Because um, he takes the decision out of your hands. He's not available for whatever it's going to be uh, eight months. On the other hand, it also looks bad if they use the injury as uh, a, a reason not to act. Right. So um, maybe the easiest thing to do is say, yeah, you're suspended, whatever, uh, to the foreseeable future. Eight months from now, he's available. 
maybe cooler heads prevailed. Maybe, you know, you could have that that conversation and, and talk him down and you could work things out. But also, and, I, and I'm not advocating for this, but if Tony Khan deems that this is a fireable offense, you should fire him, right? I mean, wh- whether he's suspended uh, or, or not, whether he's available or not, um, if, if that's what he decides is the, the right move uh, to make, then then that's what he should do. And, uh, and I don't know that like, it is the right move. Well, and internally, they're supposedly still investigating this and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll come to some kind, kind of conclusion at the end of it. And, uh, you know, we don't know everything that happened, um, but there's a, certainly a lot to suggest that he was the aggressor in this situation in a lot of ways. Now, we don't know what happened within the room with the supposed fighting and all this stuff. And I think that might be key. But in terms of actually like escalating the situation and making it a, a giant, a, uh, unignorable issue, like we know who did that. Yeah, yeah. There's another piece of this, though, if I could just quickly say yeah. that I don't think that I think we have to consider, too, is I think there's a reasonable chance that in the midst of all this, you know, ridiculous chaos and the the, the fallout of it, that CM Punk himself could just say, you know what? I don't need this. Yeah, I'm, I'm over going. This, yeah. I'm going home. Oh. I'm not even going to leave it up to you to fire me or not. Like this is this is not what I came back for. And I'm just going to go back home and and just and just i i probably shouldn't have even come back like, like you know what i mean like that could really happen i think if he if he just feels like it's not worth it anymore yeah. uh he may just walk away which if is a shame because it's one of the best if he comeback can, stories in, re- in, yeah. in wrestling in many years one of the best comeback stories and he you know for it to end like that regardless of who's at fault or how it ends it, it really is a shame no matter what way you look at it yeah, I mean, Punk's actions outside of, of the ring um, give you the impression of of this guy who is a bit of a prima donna and aloof and go ahead and fire me. What do I care? But the the performer you see on TV is the complete opposite. I mean, that's 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 what's so kind of frustrating. He, he is such a pro um, on on TV in his promos. I mean, you could question the content of his promos and that's some <laughs> of, of what happened here. But he's he's great at them in the ring. He's great. Uh, conditioning wise for a guy in his mid forties now looks great. I mean, he ch- checks off all the boxes and uh, working but coming off of that industry in- injury as well. That's yeah, worth pointing yeah. out. Like he was very vulnerable in that position and probably wasn't able to do all the cardio that he wanted to do. Yeah. I know that that's been a big thing that's been discussed, but he, he still, he pulled it off. Yeah. Bleeding the whole thing. I mean, you, you can't ask for somebody to give more of himself in, in a match and in a performance than punk. So it is, it's troubling and it will, uh, if this is the end of CM Punk in wrestling, which it very well could be, it's unfortunate that that he leaves because he left WWE um, kind of as the hero, right. Of standing up for himself, comes back, has this great run abbreviated in AEW but then leaves again as sort of a pariah um, for for his behavior. So it's too bad. But let's talk more about um, uh, the list. Uh, and I'll quickly go through the top 10. Like I said, we're not going to uh, go through every name. Uh, so I, I mentioned Paige at four. Number five is Bobby Lashley. Number six, Cody Rhodes. Seven, Brian Danielson. Eight, Elijo del Vikingo. Nine, Big E. Ten, uh, Jonathan Gresham. I, I think one of the biggest headlines and, and reactions that I've heard from this is who's not in that top ten, and and that's John Moxley. And I think when when you talk about some of this the strong negativity that that I've heard, certainly a lot of it's got to do um, with with that decision. Uh, can you talk about that, Kevin? Why isn't John Moxley in, in this uh, top 10? And um, 
I, I don't think it's the most unreasonable uh, criticism. Sure. Uh, especially given the, where he is right now. But it does take some understanding the criteria and the evaluation period. But but I, I, I should point out, even considering those, you could still make a, a, an argument for Moxley being in the top 10. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, a, a ton of influence uh, outside of what, of what he was doing in AEW. He was a champion in New Japan at the beginning of the evaluation period. He held the GCW championship throughout, which which we'll point out here. We don't recognize that as a world title, but it is a heavyweight title of note. It is uh, the you know the most famous, uh, arguably independent wrestling promotion, at least in the U.S. in many years. Um, and he had a great year, and he didn't. He didn't. I think he had. Did he have a pinfall loss, or maybe one, or undefeated? I'm uh, admittedly I'm blanking a little bit on some of these details, but. We're already in motion with the uh, women's 150 list, so some of the some of those particulars are out of my mind right now. What I do remember is that there wasn't a hard push for him to be in the top ten during the meeting, and the two of you were in that those uh, meetings as well. Um, and I think the idea was, and and a lot of this got blown up on Twitter and taken out of context, and I and I'll take my responsibility for that is that it probably should have been addressed in a long form blog thing and not not 280 character tweet. Um, but he missed the better part of three months when he was in rehab, which we don't penalize him for. That's the same as any other injury. It's the same reason I think we could have looked at Big E at being higher if he had stayed healthy and, and been, and, you know, certainly not his fault that he, he fractured a vertebrae in his neck, you know, certainly not uh, a negative on John Moxley that he, he chose to do the right thing and go and seek help for his addictions. It's an awesome thing. I, I grew up in, um, I'm an adult child of the alcoholic family. I grew up with a dad who's still a recovering alcoholic many years later. Um, so it's not, not a slight on him for that. That is what, but one piece of the puzzle. And the other piece of the puzzle is before he left, before he had that tremendous return and he formed the Blackpool combat club, got a win over Brian Danielson. And then at the very end of the evaluation period was in the main event scene again. Um, he wasn't doing a whole lot within yeah. AEW. He was kind of in the mid card biding his time, as these other guys got acclimated, the Danielsons and punks of the world, uh, Adam Cole, you know, he wasn't in contention seriously for, you know, the upper level championships. And because of that, to me, it was hard to put him over. You mentioned specifically Gresham, Bikingo, and uh, who was the third that we had in the top? Um, uh, oh, Big E, Big E. Yeah. They're like three world champions. And Boxley mm-hmm. did not, crucially, did not have a recognized world title during the period, which is not to say he didn't have, uh, uh, you know, by, by AEW's own definition, that was an interim title. He became world champion in what will be the 2023 lists evaluation period. Um, do I think it's ridiculous to suggest he's in the top 10? Absolutely not. I think there's, there's an argument on it just based on how popular he is, the different things he did, the styles of wrestling, um, the, uh, just the toughness he displayed, the bouncing back in the way he did. Yeah, absolutely. You can make that argument, but I think also think it's a little bit of a stretch to suggest he should be in the top five for that year. Because if you right. look at the at the evaluation period, um, and I specifically say top five there, I think there's an argument for him in the top ten. But to put him over some of these other wrestlers, it's just not the reality, and it doesn't matter um, for the sake of this evaluation that he has kind of got the company back on track, and you know could could be world champion again and. Uh, has done all these awesome things over the last couple of months. They just simply don't count. And for people saying like, oh, the evaluation period's wrong. You should move it. This is what we'd use every year. 
Yeah. Someone's going to be mad that we have it two months different next year because if, if someone else doesn't get ranked where they should. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I put my foot in my mouth a couple of times, but it's <laughs> certain, but certainly like, I, I don't know. I, I think there's an argument for him to be in the top 10, but I, I don't think it's as big an omission as people, some people think. One wrinkle uh, with all that. So, so I think, all right, if Moxie's going to be in the top 10, then, then who gets shifted out of the top 10? for yes. him to take their place. And um, as you touched on, most of the people in, in, in the top 10 held world titles. One that doesn't, which to me um, is the clearest argument maybe uh, for maybe you switch them out, is Brian Danielson, who who is number seven, um, didn't hold any titles uh, and has a loss to Moxley in the evaluation period. Mm-hmm. So um, again, this is somewhat, you know, devil's advocate, but but why Danielson above Moxley? Well, in my mind, Danielson's above Moxley. I mean, one, the, you know, technical ability is is uh, uh, one of the criteria, and uh, you know, there's a reason that William Regal calls Danielson the perfect pro wrestler. Yeah, uh, but that is one ingredient, and yeah, he had the loss to Moxley, but he was also he challenged for the world title on numerous occasions. He was main eventing shows. Um, yeah, I think there's a conversation. I think you could also make a, an argument that Cody Rhodes could be lower than Moxley. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think any of these are ridiculous or that people are wrong for suggesting them, but this is just how our group, which you guys were both in, um, not, not trying to defer blame or anything, but it nope. was, you know, a group of seven of us and we this is what we yeah. came up with. I, so. I agree. And and I think it's entirely defensible. And I do think some of it is sort of um evaluating the John Moxley we have now, who is the savior of AEW, who is right. uh, won, won the interim title and then won the world title and very likely could be world champion again um, by the, the middle uh, of this week to the the John Moxley of several months ago. And, and he was never slumming it, but clearly, you know, Brian Danielson came into the company at the very top. I mean, he, he, he debuts working with Kenny Omega um, in, in New York City in an incredible match. Uh, and one of the things that maybe hurt Danielson is because he came in so high. If you weren't going to put the title on him, he had to lose some matches and he did. But but they were all in these super high stakes matches that Moxie wasn't really having um, for, for, you know, Moxie was was I wouldn't say mid card, maybe upper mid card. Yeah, mid card uh, was was a little bit of a and, and someone will probably clip this out. of. Comment, no, I don't think like, you, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying it. I, I don't think yeah. you did say it, um, yeah. but, but I but I think. Look, if if anything outside of the main event is the the mid card, then that that is the case of where he was. Um, uh, you know, if we were making call right now, Moxley would be a, a lot higher. If we were if we were putting this list together uh, right now, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Brian, any thoughts on on this whole debate about uh, uh, Moxley? And I'll throw another one in there. I think this one's a little bit more defensible. Seth Rollins, that's the other one I've heard. And and Seth is a lot lower. So so for what's worth, Moxley is 12, which isn't exactly, you know, slumming it on, on the list. And Seth is 17. So any thoughts on those two? I think it all goes back to one of the biggest misconceptions that we always talk about that just continues on that I think a lot of people just simply do not know or get that the ranking is not based on where the wrestlers stand at the time that we're doing the ranking. Yeah, It's the evaluation period. And it's very easy to, to, cause instinctively you want to go, Oh, it's the top 500 list of 
pro wrestlers in pro wrestling. So in who are the biggest stars them, right now? Right. Yeah. Your mind just goes to, or not even who's the biggest stars, but who are, even if we use the same criteria, winning and all that stuff, but right now. And, and that would be, that I think is where a lot of people who probably, to be honest, a lot of these critics and people that pile on have probably never touched an issue of pro wrestling illustrated <laughs> in their life. And this is me saying that. So they have no idea uh, how the magazine works, how the list works, uh, how the rankings have worked over the years. It's, it's a knee jerk response that I think a lot of people have. Uh, and if they just understood the criteria and the way we do it, I think it would be a little different, you know, cause it would be one thing if you take issue with that, if you take issue with the method and say, well, 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 why don't, why don't you do it differently then? Why don't you rank the people, you know, as they are currently in the business? And, and that that's an argument you could have as to why we don't. There's legitimate reasons why we don't. But it's another thing to just be misinformed and not understand what the list is supposed to be. And I think that's like 90 plus percent of the criticisms that come in about it. And that and we, goes yeah. for Moxley, yeah. Rollins, and whoever you want to say. And we can always do better on that end. And I think certainly this year we tried. We tried to, like we had infographics we were sharing all across all our social media. We were saying like, these are the dates. This is what we're grading. Like so-and-so is not going to, probably not going to be super high on this list because they're they're more of a tag wrestler at this kind yeah. of thing. Um, and, you know, that, that's not to say there aren't problems with the list. Uh, like I, I copped to it on, uh, on Twitter. I mean, Cash Wheeler was left off in error. He wasn't meant to not be on the list. He was, it was a clerical error. It's not the first time it's happened over the years. I'm certainly not proud of it. No, we're good for one of these every year. Pretty much. There's always something that happens. I think it was Baron Corbin last year. Um, And, and I, I, I mean, I don't remember the specific discussion we had about him during the meeting, but for him not to be on, wasn't an intentional choice. Um, And I think, you know, it's, we're, we're human beings and it's not perfect. And you can, and yeah, it's 500. 500 different spots. You, you, you mentioned Cash Wheeler. Uh, the other one that I've and this one, I don't know if it surprised me, but but uh, maybe it does a little bit that there's this much discussion. Dex Harward, you know, people, people some people expect going to be number, number one. one. <laughs> yeah, and he's great. He's 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 fantastic. But but uh, again, it's it's a misunderstanding of what this is, right? And and right. I think that's what kills me about this because in talking about this, I'm finding myself in the position that I, uh, the least uh, uh, pleasant position of having to say, this is why John Moxley and Dax Harwood, two guys that the entire, the entire staff, I can't think of anybody on our staff, photographers, writers, doesn't adore these two guys. We Mm -hmm. all think they're terrific for a lot of different reasons. And we're like, no, he doesn't belong there. And it sounds like we're crapping on them when we're not crapping on them. It's just that like, look, this is, this is how we do it. It's how we've done it for years. We can have conversations about how it could be done differently, but, you know, for it to be completely subjective and like, who's the best wrestler? Well, what the hell does that mean? Like we have, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that have changed to differing degrees with this list. And I think it'll continue to happen over the years, but um, yeah, I mean, I, what I have noticed, I, I will like just one last thing I would mention is that the people who disagree for good reason and in good faith, even if they really don't get why we did something one way are not total jerks about it. They are just like, I don't know about this guys. And the people who are saying that and who are not like repeatedly like arguing and name calling and all this stuff seem to have a better idea of what we actually do. So, and if someone is coming from that position and they disagree, then like, 
you, we can absolutely have conversations and maybe we take some of this stuff into consideration next year. The, the other criticism uh, uh, I hear a lot is, and, and this applies to to many people um, on the list and, and even some in the top 10, is who the hell is this guy, right? And and whether we're talking about Elijo del Vikingo or um, even Jonathan Gresham, a lot of people not familiar with him. And if you go down in the list, somebody like uh, an AC Mac at, at number 25, I had a lot of you know, major uh, WWE stars, major AEW stars, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. What is the argument for for them doing so well when the reality is they're they're working in front of smaller audiences? They're they're not household names, um, and re- related to that, I think some people often think like, well, if you had, um, you know, Gresham versus Seth Rollins. Seth clearly wins that, right? So how right. how is Gresham ahead of him? That sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's you know the magazine addresses in detail why certain people are ranked where they they were, and I mean, you you did a great job as always, Al, with the top ten, with the top accomplishments of the period, and all this stuff. Um, and what I would say is there are a couple of different, you know, there's different criteria. There are different reasons that you ranked where you are. Vikingo, yeah, he's not um, the winningest wrestler on the list, even. You know, like he, his win loss record wasn't, it was at some points fantastic, other times not so much because he'd be in a six way match and someone else would take a pin or something like that. Um, but he's one of the most innovative wrestlers in the world. And people who were actually, and, and it's, I, I say this in a way, and I want to be careful about how I say this because someone pointed out someone having a question about the list or a concern about a wrestler is not invalidated if they don't read the magazine every month. Like you can sit, you can have whatever thoughts you want. And if you're engaging in good faith with like, what the criteria is, let's talk about it. But um, someone like Vikingo, someone like AC Mack, we're covering these people prominently in the magazine throughout the years, like throughout the year. So we're not like just slotting them in there all of a sudden. And people are like, wait, who is this? You know, these are recognized world champions. Um, in Vikingo's case, I mean, just one of the most wildly innovative wrestlers in, you know, arguably a decade, you know. Um, and then AC Mack, the first openly gay world champion, has recognized PWI. These are big things. Um, you know, certainly you can debate whether or not those people belong where they are. And, uh, and to me, we're covering the sport as a continuum. And it's it exists places besides on TV. And it's not the only metric that should matter. And that's what I keep coming back to. Yeah. It's also the overwhelming responsibility of, of um, making a list that covers the entire globe. Right. Yes. And um, a, uh, you know, and, and the reality is that there is wrestling outside of the uh, United States and outside of the USA network and, and TBS and uh, people like uh, Vikingo or Okada or other people on this list are, are huge deals where they are and and um and also now question okada at this point, i know yeah but I, but i guarantee i remember when we had him number one and and sure. there were a lot of people who never heard of okada um and and you see him on the cover of magazine and we're calling him the number one wrestler in, in the world the reality is um probably the average monday night raw viewer sure. um still probably hasn't seen uh okada um and 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 a lot of them probably never heard of him uh yeah. so that's still out there yeah, I, I want to say something about that because I remember when that happened. And, you know, if I could bring some perspective to this as a teacher, this is something that that bugs me and which is a choice that people have to make. Now, when you see us, uh, uh, what people tend to do, see the reaction I think that I would have or a lot of other people would have 
would be, wow, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, this respected magazine with all this tradition, and they really know their stuff, and they cover this stuff for a living, and blah, blah, blah. They put this guy on the cover and said he's the number one. I never heard of this guy. So obviously, I need to do my homework and find out who this is and why he's important. That, to me, is a healthy response. The unhealthy response is, I never heard of him. This doesn't have any meaning to me. Therefore, it's not important. If I don't know about it and I never heard of it and I never heard of this guy, then obviously he is not worthy of being on the cover. I personally think that that is an unhealthy response to that. And it's one that too many people choose to have. That's yeah. my view. Brian, I, I, I'm going to drive up there after this. And I'm going to give you a big hug. <laughs> That's, That's my, these are things I would tell my students all the time. Okay. You've never heard of this guy. That means that this is something to learn. It doesn't yes. mean he's not important because you never heard of him. You don't know everything. Okay. And it's never you know? been easier to learn about things like that. Right. And we're trying to do our part in that. And I mean, I, all three of us can attest this. We grew up reading these magazines and learning about wrestlers we'd never heard of. And wasn't that an eye-opening experience? Didn't that improve our lives as opposed to frustrating us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's how you learn about a lot of these guys and, and you go yeah. and you seek them out. Um Right. I mean, otherwise you'd have a top 10 that is just WWE guys, right? You know, or, or, right. and some AEW guys. Uh, and, and, and then you get criticized for that. Uh, real quickly, going back to, to Seth Rollins, who is, again, another guy who, like, you got to preface this by saying he's awesome. I mean, he's, he's yes. fantastic. Um, similar situation, I think, uh, to Moxley. The difference with him, and this is also a discussion worth having, is, he's sort of penalized for being a heel and being a great heel, right? Because if you yes. look at his, his win-loss, he barely won a singles match. You know, he I, th- I think, and I remember going through it, and I was amazed by how few matches he won in the entire evaluation period. But also, it's because that wasn't his job. His job, and for a lot of it, was to, to, to make Cody Rhodes. And uh, when you are the top heel or one of the top heels in a wrestling company, unless you have the title, you're going to be on your back a lot. Yeah, I Brian brings this up a lot that there's it's it's difficult. We have to find ways to kind of account for these things. Um, I mean, in Rollins' case specifically, he was actually higher at one point, and I think I made the call to to bump him back a little bit. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, wait, Seth Rollins, who won like two high profile matches all year, why is he ahead of the Impact World Champion Josh Alexander, who had this incredible year in Canada, the U.S., and all this? Um, there's always room to look at that again and say, okay, well, I don't agree with that because Seth was one of the key stars of of WWE, but you know, if we're going by this criteria, um, certainly he can make up for it in terms of influence and his incredible technical ability and the quality of opponents. But at some point we got to go back to in-ring achievement wins and losses championships won. That's the way I look at it. I know Brian has a slightly different take on this. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I always talk about the anti-heel bias of the PWI 500. <laughs> I get I, I, it's true. I mean, but but again, that would require a complete philosophical shift in how it's done to go to move away from wins and losses and treating it like a sport and to move more towards we're ranking you as a performer. We're ranking you based on your position in the industry and how you're and, being pushed. That's and a maybe total it's worth talking shift. more about that, honestly. Yeah. Like it's yeah. But yeah, it's a good not point. right not right now. It's something we can talk about over <laughs> no, the course I, of the but, but I'm saying like that's not something that you <laughs> yeah. can't you gotta pick one or the other. You can't do both of those things. So you know. Mm. 
two other things that come to mind that I've heard uh, uh, as criticisms that I think are are valid um, to raise. One is, and this always comes up too, um, as far as the indies, so-and-so is the biggest star of um, the indie scene here where I live in the United States and everybody knows him and he's not on your list. And a lot of guys from the Northeast are on your list. And, uh, you know, this comes up about a lot about West Coast indies or just different kind of regions in, in the country. And um, th- it's a legitimate question, Kevin, and, and it's it's a real big challenge for us, I mean, to be tuned in to every and and and, it, and part of it is the the nature of independent wrestling is that these are our men and women who uh, most of the time have day jobs right and so they're working weekends and they're working within driving distance so you end up with these regions that are just a, a sort of um a, a byproduct of like yeah i can only cover this much territory within um, my my weekend and so it is very much the case that the hot indie stars in, in this part of the country are completely different than the ones from this part of the country. Uh, how do we account for that? And 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 what could we do to, to, to be better at that? Yeah. And, and I think we try to get better about it every year and uh, you know, we'll make strides in one direction and then like, Oh, like, what about this over here? You know, like it's never going to be perfect. It is a work in progress. I think there are two things. And I think the first point that you hit on is regional bias. That's a real concern. Um, You know, no secret, historically, a lot of our writers have been East Coast, particularly in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic. And, you know, that that we still have a lot of people there, but we have branched out. We have different freelancers. You know, Righteous Reg is on the rating committee. He's he's out on the West Coast. He's on indie shows all the time out there. So he suggested some people we didn't have on our radar before or that we didn't rank last year. Um, we have Paul Pratt, a columnist for the magazine who submitted a list of people we should consider for the West coast specifically. Um, we have submission forms. We have things like that. And we do try to encourage people to let us know about people we might be missing. The other part of this is that we've entered kind of a new era, um, at least of independent wrestling. Um, excuse me, talking over an hour, throat's getting really dry. Um, but we're in this era where you can access a lot of this through streaming, through iPay-per-view more easily than ever. Um, and if you look at the indie wrestlers that are ranked, um, they're traveling all over the place. They're appearing on these different shows. They have the visibility. So if you have someone who's been the most dominant wrestler in a promotion, we'll just say in Nebraska, not to pick on Nebraska, but if that Nebraskan promotion isn't really carried on the big streaming services and their champion only really wrestles there, how are we going to know about them first off? You know, we'll see their name in the match re- reports that were sent. Sure. But like, we don't really know what they're doing and they're not really further. They're in kayfabe In kayfabe. They're not really challenging themselves. Yeah. And I think these are things we have to consider. Um, and there's not a perfect answer to it, but anyone who's consistently been left off the list, I would encourage just try and branch out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up, uh, and, and it sort of came up with this discussion of uh, FTR 
is uh, a tag teams uh, on the list. And this is a place that we run into issues very often, um, whether it's some wrestlers being left off. Um, and I know that was the case, not just with cash, but with uh, Montez Ford, I guess that came up. Uh, but also this question of whether they should be on at all. We have a dedicated tag team list now. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a, a conversation to have whether we need to kind of strictly delineate uh, the two, because it's always been weird when you've got some somebody um, like a Young Bucks or an FTR who are doing such a great job and are so important in what they do and such a, a vital part of the company or the Usos for that matter. But realistically, when you are ranking them against wrestlers who compete primarily in, in singles, you know, it might be hard to break the top hundred. And uh, it, it so, you know, is, are, are the Usos on the list this year? Yes. Yeah. Where the are Usos they? Are. Um, I'm actually not sure. Let me, I'm going to look them up real quick. Yeah, I did. Uh, so entry. Jay Uso is 139. Yeah, right. Jay Uso is a huge uh, a part of WWE, a, a, a big part of the biggest act in wrestling right now. So it it's sort of this contradiction. Um, yeah. I imagine he'll do very well in in the, the what is now the tag team 100, right? Um, yeah. So what, what are well, Brian? I'll ask you. I mean, is the, do you think that it is time to make kind of a clean break between the two? It's always been very hard to figure out what to do with the tag team people. I think we all can agree on that, at least. It's always been this this weird thing because we have it. As, it's basically a singles list. And so we're ranking these guys who specialize in tag teaming on the matches they've had outside their specialty, which yeah. is a weird thing to do, I guess. So, you know, the answer might be, and again, this is muddy water. This requires a little bit of a judgment call. What do you do with Dax Harwood, right? Because he clearly had a push and, and he's been treated as like, this is a guy who can do both. Like he's in a tag team, but he has some really good singles matches and he's really legit and all that. He's pushed that way. He's presented that way. So it might be a situation where you go, okay, anybody who's in a tag team who hasn't had a significant kind of, and again, we have to define what significant means, who hasn't had a significant singles presence in the evaluation period, we're not even going to bother ranking them. So unless you've been presented on TV as somebody who kind of does a little bit of both, you're not going to be, you just are going to be on the tag team list. Maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, maybe it's the activity threshold, but but making it specific to singles matches. Right. Well, that's well, that's it. And I've actually I can reveal this now. I've announced that we do have that hard cutoff for next year's list, um, with the bare minimum being ten singles matches or six and six separate months. The same as we that the cutoff is now for any matches. On the other hand, uh, kind of what Brian said. I mean, there might still be someone who technically meets the threshold, but eh. You know, they yeah. weren't really positioned as a singles person. It's not to say they can't make it, but if they're not on it, that's probably why. And, and it's that, possible that, you know, with that, with it, with the judgment call thing, like, let's say you have somebody who meets the 10 matches threshold, but let's say every single one of them were house shows. So just for the people right. that watch TV, they have no idea that this person had any singles matches. And, and you know what I mean? So sure. like there is, there is definitely a gray area there. In some cases, maybe make a judgment call. 
Yeah. The, the other bit of confusion I've I've seen, I mentioned Mark Henry uh, this morning, so he put together his top five and it, it wasn't crazy. But one of the names he had on was Bianca Belair. And again, it's like, well, that's not the way uh, it works. But but another conversation we've, we've had over the years is is whether we do merge the two um, and whether there should be just one list. And then the other part that sort of confuses things is that there are women on on this list and and. Um, if I feel like every year there's there's a few more. Is, is this the most women we've had on on the 500 this year? Yeah, not by a lot. I think it's by one or two. But um, basically, what we've been doing is treating these as the extensions of the overall weekly and monthly list. We do the heavyweight ranking or singles, if you prefer, uh, women's ranking and tag team ranking. Tag team ranking is completely inter- integrated now, so it provides a look at, yeah, potentially we could have a combined list. I think what happens there is you have where there are opportunities near the top of the card for Bianca Belair. There aren't really singles, ti- I mean, excuse me, secondary titles that someone can go for underneath Bianca Belair. So if you have someone who's really dominant as a woman's wrestler, who has less TV time, who has fewer titles to contend for, how are they going to fare versus the guys on the list? Um, if you just have a clean across the board, everyone ranks everywhere. So it's a little squishy and weird at this point. Um, One suggestion somebody made that I think is really interesting, and it's at least worth some thought, I don't know that we're going to move to this, is kind of having the combined ranking um, and sort of doing something separate because the people who are going to get pushed off are these indie level workers. Maybe there's a separate ranking for them and there are thresholds that you have to meet to be ranked on each one. Don't know. Yeah, I, I I think it's great that the you know thirty two years in it, it's still a work in progress and and we're having these kind of conversations of it. I would say when when um, we've brought up the notion of uh, merging the the men's and or or the the five hundred and the women's list, um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the reaction from uh, women and women wrestlers was was negative that that they like having their own list, they like being featured, and um, I understand that uh, too. So. Sure. For, for the moment, I mean, I guess I could be swayed. Uh, my vote would be to keep them uh, separate and and kind of keep. I, I think we found a, a healthy balance that, um, again, every year needs a little more work and, and gets more work. And and I think the, the creation of the tag team list um, also, you know, keeps things in flux and, and makes us consider things that that we haven't before. So anyway. Kevin, great job as, as always. And I know uh, some folks uh, in, in our kind of internal chat were wanting to put you up for, for sainthood for the way oh, you've reacted. Because <laughs> it is, it, it, it's just uh, unenviable, thankless, uh, trying to manage uh, uh, these criticisms with uh, uh, grace and civility. And I think you've oh, I, I don't always. I, I have moments, <laughs> but, um, you know, lesson learned. So, like, it's funny because. I specifically did less media this year because I thought it would give me some peace, but then I ended up checking the comments more. So it had the opposite effect. <laughs> Whereas last year I had this slate of like podcast, 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 and I need no time to look at it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. And, in, in, um, you know, the, the, the upside of the social media is when you see all these independent wrestlers whose day is just made and career is just made by making the 500. It means so much to them. It. And that's really cool. Yeah. One of the best parts of my job. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, this was a, a lot of fun. Uh, as always, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, hopefully get back to business as usual on the podcast uh, uh, coming up uh, real quick. Anything? Well, well, uh, Kevin, uh, uh, tell people where they can get the magazine, how they can get the magazine. PWI-online.com. You can buy the digital edition, the 
the new digital uh, subscription is really great. And I think you should look at that um, cross-platform mobile. I think I pitched it, given the hard sell for that on here before. So I'll save that. Yeah. But you can you can pre-order it or you can find it on newsstands October 4th. Um, worth noting also the PWI Weekly, we have a new premium version, which is, has some exclusive throwback content in it and possibly some new uh, original editorial content. So stay tuned for that. That is yeah. only uh, a few bucks a month. So. And, and the 500 is this kind of annual reminder for a lot of people that, yes, we still exist. And so a lot of the, the, the feedback I've seen is like, can we still get a copy of PWI? Yes. You know, so please do get uh, a copy so yes. we can keep doing this. <laughs> yes. Head on over to the Barnes and Nobles or whatever. You'd, you'd be surprised. You'll find it there. Um, and and Brian, um, you want to tell people about the book where they can get it? Anything else you got going on? Sure. Uh Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. It's still available in print and digital and audio format on Amazon. Still still available, doing really well. Um, there's my podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle, which has been just a blast. We've had Al, I will have you on. I promise, <laughs> I promise, I promise. Keep getting these promises. Uh, it's just we talk every week. So, you know, I need, I need a little break. No, but just take but, this uh, and put it on your podcast. I, I'm up to about 35 of them now, and it's fun. I just had uh, the next one going up is going to be Seth Turner, who's the president of the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Very cool guy. And we just had like Kevin Sullivan and Tom Buchanan, who was a WWF photographer for years. So it's a lot of fun. And, and, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts and there's the wrestling news too, which I'm now like the, I basically do most of the scripting of it on a daily basis. So it's, it's very unique in, in the business. I enjoy doing it where it's just like this daily little NPR, like news brief of pro wrestling. So it's a cool thing for people to check out too. Excellent. Great. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Uh, thanks, guys, for doing this, as always, uh, and for another uh, PWI 500. One of the cool things that I've discovered just in doing this media last couple of weeks is that I have now been part of half of the PWI 500s, which is crazy to me. Uh, and, wow. and really, yeah, yeah. So I came in. This is the 32nd one, and I've done 16 of them. So it's crazy to me <laughs> and really wow. cool. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, uh, thanks to all, all you guys for, for uh, all your contributions in there. Um, all right, Cap fans, uh, we'll be back soon. Appreciate it.